you have to meet them where they are. And so you have to give them some things that are going to get immediate results that they could say, wow, this stuff really works. Then that will almost prime them for things that take longer, but you've already gained their trust. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and later today, I'm going to be joined by NBA skill and development coach, Joey Burton. Most importantly, he's not just a coach. He's not just a trainer. He is a great friend of mine and somebody I am so excited to have on the show this week. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, normally I would do the whole week that was, give you a little recap, and I promise next week I'm going to give you the most full, the most in-depth recap ever known to man, but as promised, this is the last week of our five for five. So I'm giving you five tips over five weeks to make sure that 2021 is your absolute best year ever. Now, if you missed the previous weeks, I would ask you go back and listen to those in their entirety. It's just three or four minutes each. I'll give you a quick recap here though. Week one, we talked about setting goals, both process and outcome-based goals. Number two, we talked about the power of getting accountability, hiring a mentor, hiring a coach, or somebody to help ensure that you kind of keep your feet to the fire and you get what you need to done. Three, we talked about getting back on the horse. Failure is part of the process. You're going to get knocked off. You got to get back on. Fourth, we talked about being patient, playing the long game. And this week, we're going to talk about enjoying the journey. And I think this will really help recap all of these previous week's tips as well. And I want to share something that's that's pretty personal with you. Go back to 2017. And I had set out to really make 2017 my best year ever. I set a whole slew of goals for myself. I did a lot of introspection and I was very well known in the soccer space. At that point in time, I'd worked with a ton of high-level soccer players. I'd had some success in the NBA in equals one. Roy Hibbert had a pretty darn good year after uh, we worked together. And keep in mind, I never take credit for an athlete's success, but I'd like to think the work that Roy and I did that offseason a couple years prior to had made a positive impact on him. He was second in defensive player of the year voting. He was an all-star that year, but I had gotten that small taste of success and I knew I wanted more of that. I knew that basketball was where I wanted to be. And I just frankly wasted too much time not going all into that space. So early 2017, I set these goals for myself and you know, my top three goals, number one, I wanted to connect with my family every day, which is still a huge goal. I had uh, number two, a very specific goal for iFast and growing that space. But number three, and I don't think I've really shared this on here, but number three, I wrote down, I want to develop an NBA coaching program. And so I had an outcome-based goal, probably wasn't the best SMART goal, if we're being serious, but I kind of always had in the back of my mind, I wanted to work with five NBA-level clients. And so I set up kind of some process-oriented things. I wanted to connect and build relationship with multiple NBA agents. I'm going to reach out to all of the IFAST family members who are working in the NBA. But the third bullet point here was work with Joey Burton and any athletes that he's currently working with. And Below that, I said I was willing to work with any client, even if it was for free, 
even if it was discounted services to try and get more reps in. So it's kind of surreal to think about this now because over the last four to five years, Joey and I have built this kind of program, right? Like Joey's successful independent of me. Like, let's be real here. He's a tremendous talent in his space. But to just think about what we've accomplished over the years and where we started, where we had kind of this hodgepodge mix of, you know, fringe NBA guys. We had some Euro level talents. We had some college athletes at the time. And over the years, the program has gotten better and better. You know, year two, we had a ton of like pre-draft guys. We had a lot of guys that were playing overseas in Europe. And the following year, now we're getting guys that are, were playing in Europe and now they're on two ways or now they're in the G League. And so just this evolution of the program is really cool to think about. And so the main point for today, the tip for you that I want you to take away from this is to enjoy the journey and enjoy the process. And this is something that Joey talks about in depth in our show. And I think it's so critical. We get so caught up in the outcome. And and this was the first year I kind of hit that goal. You know, I said I wanted to work with five NBA level clients. We did it this year, right? Glenn Robinson, Ed Sumner, Tyrell Terry, Dakota Mathias, Keelan Martin. All of those guys are either on two ways or on proper NBA contracts. So again, never taking credit for their skills and their talents. They were amazing athletes before they ever met me and they'll be amazing after they move on. But just to think about the evolution of the program and to think about the development of these young men. And and it's really hard to put into words what what you see and what you learn on a day-to-day basis because these are young men, right? Sometimes you know, the oldest guy in your program is Glenn and he's 26, 27 years old. Tyrell, when I started working with him, was 19. You know, granted, he was there six months, so he turned 20 in that time. But these are young men, and there's so many things that I want to teach them. Obviously, the physical side, how to take care of their body, how to respect their body, and to understand that their body is a vehicle for their success. It's what helps them get paid. It's what improves their livelihood, you know, in a lot of different senses. But beyond that, it's the impact that we can make on the mental side on helping them build character. And these are all things that we talk about in the show, but I think it comes back to this idea of enjoying the journey. And I'd be lying to you if I said every day was great. I think Joey would agree with me. You know, we have bad days too. We have days where guys are flat or where they're in a bad mood or we don't get the results that we want. But enjoying that process, enjoying the journey and respecting the fact that, look, man, every day we show up, we can make a positive impact. And I think Regardless of who you are, coach, trainer, rehab professional, always remember that fact. When you show up to work each and every day, you can make a positive impact on the person standing in front of you. So I want to leave you with that thought. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the process and make it your goal each and every day to make the lives of the people that you work with a little bit better. Okay, enough from me. Quick break. We're going to jump into this amazing episode with my guy, Joey Burton. It seems like almost every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you. 
who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. The exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. And last but not least, I've added an entire section on my assessment process and how to use that to write programs faster and more effectively than ever before. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the certification is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next certification will launch in March 2021, and if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for our launch emails coming very soon. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Joey Burton is an NBA skills trainer based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. You might know him if you've listened to this podcast for any extended period of time as Joey the Basketball Guy because we've worked hand in hand over the past five years to build an elite basketball development program. In this show, Joey and I go deep on the topics of coaching and skill development. We start by discussing why it's not important to just care about your athletes, but that they know you care about helping them get better as well. We talk about the value of demonstrating success early on to improve buy-in. And we also talk about why the X's and O's are important, but it's also imperative to build both mental focus and character throughout your programs as well. Joey really shared what I consider to be some universal truths in this episode. So whether you're into basketball or not, I think you're going to take a ton away from this show. But enough for me, let's do this. Joey, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to chat with you. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm married. I got four kids and uh, loving doing life with them. And uh, I do uh, MBA skill development based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. I love it, man. I love it. So talk to me. What led you, normally I ask, like, what led you to the world of like sport performance or personal training? What led you to the world of basketball skill development? It was something I actually kind of was forced into. I was coaching college basketball at Mississippi State University. My goal was to become a head coach and to really lead a team. And unfortunately, our coach retired and I couldn't find another job. And so I had an opportunity to come to Indianapolis and to work under a man that was already doing skill development. And I got my start there. And then he took a job with Steve Alford at UCLA back in 2013. And I had no other option but to continue to do skill development and i've grown and developed it and uh, it's been pretty successful that's awesome man that's awesome so walk us through your career path like i know you played in college a little bit so walk us through your college days and your college career to where you're at now like what stops were there along the way because i think people love to know people's background story right like how they got to where they're at yeah um, i can even go back before college yeah, i, I that. just 
always had a love for basketball. I remember my grandmother telling me a story when I was three years old that I wanted to go on a road trip with them. They were in Phoenix visiting my uh, mom and you know, our, the family. And I was ready to go with my basketball shoes and my basketball, but I couldn't go because I was too young. But that's kind of shows the passion I had from an early age about basketball and just stuck with me. And I uh, knew I wanted to coach when I was a teenager. And so when I was in high school, I played basketball, but I just really was getting frustrated with the way that coaching was being done. Favoritism, the politics, um, just really not teaching. I didn't feel like we were learning stuff and, uh, you know, really getting better. And so I always wanted to be a, a coach that I didn't have. And so I didn't even play my senior year because I just didn't think I was going to ever get an opportunity. I really saw proof that the coach wasn't going to be uh, fair with how he evaluated each player on the team. So I focused on track, which I ran also in high school. And I still had this love for basketball. And another great thing happened after I graduated college, I grew four inches. So that helped me grow into the size I am today, which uh, got my uh, interest back into, hey, maybe I could play college basketball. I was playing at a junior college and playing with some the players. I was playing in the city of Chicago. I moved to Chicago after high school and I just felt I had an opportunity to play and I just took a leap of faith and I played at a small Christian school called Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and there really opened my eyes to a whole nother level of basketball. We hosted a lot of NBA teams because we we're based out of downtown. So I was able to see guys like Steve Nash uh, practice and work out, Dirk Nowitzki. I was able to see uh, Yao Ming uh, come in and do a private workout. So I, I got really exposed to this high-end uh, basketball. And I was like, man, this is something that I think I would like to pursue because I really love basketball. I love the coach. I was already reading and watching film when I was in college. I didn't have a trainer. There wasn't really training back then. So I really focused on trying to learn myself and trying to get better myself. And one of the things I really focused on was improving my shooting, which 20 years later, it's really come to benefit. Yeah, it's turned out all right for you. I think that whole shooting thing yeah. Doing all right with that, man. Doing all right with that. Yeah. So, so yeah. So it was, you know, and then that gave me the um, opportunity. I just started off coaching high school. But one thing that really I focused on was using the, the the passion I had to help players get better through shooting and using that to build trust. Uh, one of the things I say a lot to coaches is that we have a saying that you know they don't care how much you know they you know until they know how much you care. And that's a great saying and all, but I really think now in today's society and today's uh, culture is they really don't care how much you care about them until they know how much you care about getting them better. Mm -hmm. And when you could show that you care about getting them better, that's when you're going to build a lot of trust. You're going to build deep relationships that's going to really help them grow as individuals and as a player and in the coaching like a team when a player knows that you care about getting them better then they're going to be willing to do more for you and do more that is asked of them so uh you know really start off in the high school ranks just really working on pl with players on a shooting got to learn a lot about what to do and not what to do as I was in the high school ranks. And then it just continued to progress when I got to the college ranks. And then kind of had to start over when I got to skill development and started working with youth players and just built a foundation, built a philosophy of how I believe shooting can be taught and how players can be developed. And that really prepared me 
for the opportunities that I got working with NBA players. So I always emphasize to uh, coaches and to young trainers that, listen, you know, be faithful in the small things because a lot of times it's what prepares you for the future and the bigger things that you want to do immediately, but you need time to grow and develop. Yeah, I love that. And that's something I try and impress upon all of our our interns that come into our gym, you know, a lot of them have aspirations to work in pro sports, whether it's baseball, basketball, football. And I always tell them, look, man, like, yeah, I think we have been successful working in the basketball space. But man, I had 15 years of development working with young guys and gin pop people and just random people that want to build muscle or lose fat before I ever got serious about diving into working with pro basketball players all the time. So I think that's a great point. And I think you have a lot more room to, you know, air, right? Like, right. hey, a, a little sixth grader, you might try something new with the a technique or you might try a new drill and it doesn't work so well. Then you could scrap it and, you know, or maybe add to it and try and adjust. You only sometimes get one or two opportunities to really make an impression on that higher level client like a pro. Yep. And I'm so thankful that I you know, really valued the time that I had with some of those youth to develop my philosophy. I love it, man. Okay. So obviously this show's a little bit different than most, but I think also the people that listen to this show will find parallels between their respective work and what you do. So let's start with this. When a new NBA client comes to you looking for help with his game, what does your initial evaluation process look like? I initially really go to film. And I study their game and I look at how they're being used within the system that they're in. They're still in that system. I will study that system and see how we could develop a plan and drills that will help them be their best in that system. But then as we do that, we're also adding things to their game. So if their role expands or if they're asked to do something that they haven't been asked to do before, that they'll be prepared. It's a lot of evaluation. I think just you know being around you a lot, Micah, how you come to the gym sometimes, and before you might even get a you know guy in the gym, you're watching their body movements. You're studying how they're coming off of a screen and where their body positions are. And so you would do that through you know you can do that through film as well, but you kind of do that evaluation process on things that you need to work on. And it's the same concept with me. And I look at, you know, what what are their stats or what are things that they need to work on to improve their stats. And, you know, in the game of basketball, you know, you get paid if you you can shoot the basketball. So if there's areas that they can improve in their uh, mechanics, uh, we're going to address those as well. I love it. I love it. So one of the hardest things to do, I think, just in coaching in general, is to get a new client to buy in and trust you and maybe trust the process. And like I said, it's a universal issue. So do you have any tips or tricks that you've used to help you build trust or build rapport faster or more effectively? Yeah, I think you have to do things that you know will have immediate results. Maybe it's with me just having them adjust their hand position on the ball uh, to allow the ball to be straight. Maybe it's their level of their follow through that they could uh, get a little more arc on their shot. Now the ball is entering through the back of the rim and, and they see the results of that. They're not missing short as much. So do you have something that they could see immediate results? Maybe in your field, Mike, just one thing I've always been impressed with you with the guy that have worked with you that I work with also is that, you know, there's a common theme after they had their first workout with you, man, I feel 
good. My body feels good. And so you have to give them an immediate results. And especially with uh, the younger professional athletes in today's uh, society, they want quick results. They yep. want results now. And you know that it doesn't always happen that way, but you have to meet them where they are. And so you have to give them some things that are going to get immediate results that they could say, wow, this stuff really works. Then that will almost prime them for things that take longer, but you've already gained their trust. Dude, that's such a great point. It's something that Bill talks about. So I asked him at one point, you know, like, how do you convince people to keep coming back to you? Because he does cash-based physical therapy, right? Like, he's not cheap. It's not a $30 copay or whatever. I said, well, what's the secret sauce, man? And he just said, I've got to show him some success right away. Like, doesn't matter what it is. There's got to be some sort of easy win, like more range of motion, you know, move or feel better in my world, in your space, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more uh, seeing the ball go through the hoop like that never hurts. Yep. Right. But man, those easy wins and just dis- demonstrating success early on are such a critical piece of the puzzle. Yes. And, and it's critical to create that buy in. And, you know, there's going to be some you know, discomfort in their growth. Right. That's where we grow. And usually in our uncomfortable zones, yep. being outside of our comfort zone. And so when you have those easy wins or those early successes, now they're going to trust you to continue to persevere through some of the failures that they'll go through during their times of being uncomfortable. Yeah, that's great. Great advice, man. So. You know, one thing I love about watching you work is, you know, there's this common theme in basketball and I came up around basketball. of just like, oh, I'm just going to go in the gym and get shots up, right? I'm going to get 500 shots up or a thousand, whatever. And I think you do a great job of finding this blend between, hey, yeah, there are days when we need to get shots up and there's other days where we got to actually improve shooting versus live action. So I want to hear your thoughts on this. Why do you feel both are important and what do you hope to accomplish in each setting or each environment? Yeah, for example, one of my clients, Trey Lyles, he went from shooting 25% last, the NBA's been all messed yeah. up their schedule, but you know, the season before the uh, COVID and, and yep. the bubble, he shot 25%. And then he came and we started to work on his shooting mechanics. And for the first month, month and a half, we didn't do any live action shooting. We really focused on his mechanics. We identified three things that he needed to do on a consistent basis in order to get those consistent results. And then we added the live action. And so we were able to get him up to 38% uh, on the season uh, the following year. And one of the things that I like to balance is that when you're doing your reps and just getting your reps up, that's when you really are trying to, you know, ingrain these habits, giving you time to focus and really maybe even change your thought process of how you shoot the ball or how you prepare to shoot the ball. But then when it comes to those habits being you know, ingrained and you have shown consistency, now we need to get you in live action. And one of the things I always say is that in a game, every time you shoot, it is a decision. When you're doing reps, you know you're going to get that shot on every single pass. So we have to be able to train them to be able to make the decision to shoot. When you have a defender flying at you, you got to make a decision. Do I shoot it right away? Do I shot fake? Do I let it go quicker? Do I have enough time to be able to get in my full rhythm? And so there's a lot of different variables that go into shooting against live action. And we got to be able to train the cognitive development of their decision to shoot the basketball. 
Okay, this is so cool because I did an interview with a guy a, a couple weeks ago and he trains special forces. So like dudes that are like out sniping and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And he gave the exact same blueprint, right? So what he does is, or what they do, they teach these guys to be ridiculous marksmen. And then as they're, you know, whatever, building this fatigue up, then they train them to be successful in those environments under ridiculous amounts of stress, right? They've slept two hours or they just made them ruck 10 or 15 miles. And then they make them demonstrate the skill. So you just said the same thing, right? You have to yep. build the skill first. And then you make them demonstrate the skill when they're fatigued or when there's this decision-making element to it. And then there's a confidence issue too, because yeah. they'll start to they'll start to make a lot of shots. They're really growing in the repetition phase and they're they're really displaying the right habits. And then under fatigue, under stress, we always tend to go, you know, sink lower. We have slippage, right? So now they they're I'm making all these shots uh, in the reps. And then when they go against live action, they're around 40%. And it kind of, you know, makes it more realistic of, hey, listen, can you still make some shots after you miss three in a row? And it's okay to miss three in a row because that might happen in a game, but could you hit that fourth shot? And so it really, I think, helps with the confidence of like, hey, I've, I was going against live defense and I made five out of 10. You know, that's game-like, that's yeah. transferable. Because we, we, you know, with some of these NBA players and even some high school players I've had, they could get in these zones. And, you know, we were in the gym with the NBA player just a week ago and he got in the zone and he was just cashing out yeah. like 15 in a row and you know, at different spots and looked so effortlessly, you know? And so we got to be able to make things game-like so that it transfers because, you know, their shooting percentages are drastically higher in practice. So we need to add those different variables in practice as well in order to be able to allow them to see the transfer happen from a live action in a workout or practice into the game. Yeah. You know, this is one of the things, this is this is my excuse, right, for basketball. You know, I always heard, oh man, if you're hitting like 38, 40% from three, like you're good. So I just, you know, this is like 1995, 96. And I think, oh, well, shoot. Okay. I can't, I can't shoot exactly that, but maybe if I hit like 50% in the gym, I could take that and hit 40 in a game. And, and then, and then I talked to like Glenn or Dakota. I'm like, how many of you guys hit out of a hundred? They're like 80, 75, 80, 85. And you're like, oh, whoa, I set that bar way too low. Right. You just, you yeah. don't recognize like how elite these guys are shooting the basketball until you get in the gym and you watch it happen. Exactly, exactly. And then there's been a big, you know, it's kind of been a big phase of, you know, these guys that have been working on their shots or, you know, they're extending their range and they go and shoot, you know, and you'll see them make like 15 shots in a row. And then, you know, people on social media say, oh, that guy has a three ball now. Watch out, watch out. But then when they go to the season, they really don't shoot them or they don't really, you know, shoot it well. And I, a lot of those videos that you see, it's just done with no defense and just pure reps and nothing with the live action, which will develop the cognitive aspect of shooting as well. Yeah, I love it, man. Well, I know one thing that you and I both agree on is building both the mental side of the athlete as well as building their character over the long term. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the guys we're getting are very young. I mean, it's crazy to think Glenn's like our oldest guy now. And he's what, yeah. 26, 27? 26, yeah. So, yeah. you know, why do you think these elements are so critical to our athletes? Or why do you put such an emphasis on it? 
you know, I'm always big on trying to control variables that you could control that will allow you to perform your best. And bad decisions off the court, decisions that are based upon poor character, a lack of discipline, have a direct impact on a player's success. And they're not always going to look to you as a coach and say, well, this coach, you know, had to deal with all these bad decisions I was making or some lack of character. And that's why they weren't successful with me. They're going to look at you. Are you going to get them successful or not? Whether what they're doing in their personal life is helping them or hurting them. So I really try and, you know, stress the mental side of it, their character, you know, living the right way, making good decisions so that they'll have the freedom and the focus to be able to be their best when their best is needed on the court or, you know, on the field. And so I think it's a a big aspect. Uh, That's why I like to call it player development. We're developing a player. We're developing a person. We're just not developing a skill. And so, you know, taking the time to really focus on, on those things. And it doesn't have to be this big course or, you know, just sometimes talking, right. And just yes. being a listening ear and, you know, giving them, you know, life lesson nuggets or, Hey, listen, I've done this when I was 24 years old. It was stupid. You know, <laughs> don't do what I did. Right. <laughs> right. And so, you know, cause I, I, I do see, you know, now there's some, there's some freaks out there. There's some, you know, just crazy talented people that are athletes that could, you know, live a certain way or, you know, their character could be not where it needs to be and still be successful. But in my experience, the two usually don't add up and you want, you want them to add up so that they'll be able, like I said, or have the freedom to be at their best when their best is needed. Yeah. I love that. And I think something that you and I both universally agree on, I mean, we're both definitely not old, but we're not as young as these guys. I mean, You know, I think back and Ty and I had this discussion the other day or, you know, before he left, I'm like, damn, I've been coaching as long as you've been alive, dude. You know, like, like, so like just life experience and like being able to share that with them. And like you said, like letting them know, like, hey, look, in a lot of instances, this isn't fair. Like nothing about this is fair. Like understand you're 20 years old and you're thrust into a situation where you're going to make millions of dollars. Everything Mm -hmm. is going to be thrown at you. And, and that's not fair to have to make some of these grown up decisions at 20. But at the same time, it's not fair in the sense that, hey, look, you have this amazing opportunity. Don't go out and screw it up, you know? Yeah. And you know, speaking of Ty, uh, Ty came to us 19, freshman, right out of college, you know, preparing for the NBA draft. And one of the things that I learned the most from Ty is having to have some understanding, maybe empathy about what it's like to be 19 going into this process. And you're pretty much being told like, you're not big enough. You're not athletic enough. You know, now you got all these negative energy coming from the outside, this outside noise. And so it taught me to be a little bit more patient. I mean, you know, I, we joke, Ty and I, and you you joke, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to kill the kid after like the first two weeks. Right. Uh, (laughs) Right. But you know, I, it really taught me to, you know, how can I balance being demanding, but also having this, you know, empathy about where they're at and what they're, what they're going through. And uh, that taught me a lot because, you know, I, I really haven't worked with a 19 year old, you know, being an NBA player. Most of my guys have been 21, 22. They've had several years of college, kind of like a Nico who was in yeah. as well. You can just see the difference in maturity and life experience that, that Nico had compared to Ty. And so it just, you know, 
part of that development is like, hey, I have to, you know, really find a balance on on understanding what it's like to be at that age, but also having this, you know, concern and demand about their character that we need to develop, knowing that it will help them in the long run. Yeah, I love it, man. So I think one issue that every coach has struggled with, whether it's in basketball, whether it's training, you know, athletes in the gym, is that at some point we struggle to get an athlete, you know, to buy in, right? And, and or, or maybe we're just struggling to get through to them, right? So I'm interested. Have you ever had an athlete like that or struggled to take your advice? And if so, how did you finally get them to listen? I'm out in Utah right now with one of my clients, George Nang, and we had some heated discussions. Uh, <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be in uh, we'd, you know, the Pacers arena uh, late at night when he was a rookie, and we'd be working on the shooting mechanics, and I'm not going to be able to get it there. Well, you're not getting it there anyways, just you know, the way you're shooting it. You know, we, we've had to have some you know discussions. One thing I always want a player to know, which I think will help with the buy-in, is that go ahead and challenge me. It's okay to ask a question of why. It's okay to give me your thoughts because I want to show them that I still can learn and I can still learn from my athletes. I can learn from other coaches. So I, I let them vent and, you know, but if I am very convinced about something or I know that this will definitely help them, I don't back down. And so uh, not that we will sit there for 20 minutes of the workout and argue. Right. But I think there it needs to be sometimes discussion. And sometimes with that, it could be some uh, disagreement. But one of the things I've learned to help create buy-in is give the player room or the athlete room to ask questions. It maybe allow them to express why they're not so interested in doing it the way that you believe it needs to be done. Then do you have enough humility to be able to say, well, maybe we can adjust. Okay. Maybe I could, you know, go at it in a different avenue. Now there's some things that, you know, obviously conviction that you say, listen, if this player doesn't do this, there's no way that they're ever going to be able to be successful. And, I, and and that's where truth comes in. And I've had to express that with players. Like, listen, if you don't, you know, really lock in on your mechanics and focus on your mechanics, it's going to be, you know, difficult for you to be successful. Uh, I had to have that talk with Glenn Robinson when he shot 29% from three, 65% of his misses were short and it was due to a lack of arc. And so when he came the following off season to, you know, start to work, I showed him that I uh, presented my case of why he needed to change. And I challenged him and, you know, and I didn't think he would get to 40 or near 40 like he did the following year if he didn't make these changes. And I was firm with him on that. And now it's up to the athlete to buy in on that. It's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to tell them the truth. My responsibility is to give them the information that they need in order to be their best. And then they have to take their own responsibility of willing to accept that teaching, accept the buy-in and form what is being expected of them. I love it. Back rim and down, right? Back rim and down. Explain that real quick, just for, I, I mean, you and I joke around about that. You And just so you know, if you're listening to this, Joey gave me about an hour breakdown on a plane ride one time to go see Glenn, about an hour discussion on why back rim and down is better than a switch. So explain that for us real quick. 
So I just started watching players and I just started to one day say, Hey, I'm going to watch how the basketball enters the rim and what's the most common way that it enters the rim. And first thing I said, well, rarely does the ball hit the front of the rim and go in. So, you know, I started to eliminate what, like what really doesn't work. Most of the time when the ball hits the front of the rim, it bounces back towards the shooter or off to the side and it doesn't go back towards the entry point of the basket. So that's a really difficult miss. So as I started studying, I'm like, man, you know, every shot that goes in gets clearly over the front of the rim. So then I started to see, well, well, what will even make it even more certain? And in shooting, it's about giving you the best chance at making it, right? Mm -hmm. We just want the best chance at making it. And so as I just started watching guys like James Harden, Clay Thompson, you know, J.J. Reddick, I just started to see a consistent back of the rim and down, all right, or uh, you call it back rim and in. But I just kept seeing this uh, back rim and down consistent, you know, theme from these shooters. And so the big thing for me is, like, if it hits the back of the rim, a lot of times it will go up or it has a possibility to go back towards the opening of the basket, which gives you the best chance. So yeah, it's a, it's a big thing that I've really got players understanding and focusing on. And I think it is a big reason why I had two players improve double digit uh, percentage wise this past season, because we went to focus on getting the ball to the back of the rim through having more arc on the shot. I love it. I love it. Okay. So it doesn't make sense to have a basketball, an NBA basketball shooting coach on the show and not talk about shooting. So even if you don't play basketball, like it's a skill, anybody can, you can pick up a ball and go shoot anywhere, right? Maybe you have kids that want to play. Maybe you just want to become a better shooter yourself. For somebody that wants to become a better shooter, what are like three to five very general tips that you would walk somebody through? Like you have to do X, Y, and Z if you want to be a consistent shooter. I'm really big on alignment. So you want to provide the best alignment for the shot to go straight. And so the way that I try and teach that to players is by shooting on the dominant side of your face. So if you're right-handed, you want to shoot that ball somewhere like on your right you know, side. I use the reference of getting the back of the ball around your eyebrow level. So that will keep your elbow in line with the rim. It does, you know, it does a good job of getting your elbow under the ball. So that's uh, the one thing, shooting on the dominant side of your face. And so then the second one would be make sure that you shoot the ball up. I think up is the most important word in shooting. So many players and even older, you know, gentlemen that I see sometimes in the gym getting their shots up, they shoot the ball at the rim. You want to shoot the ball up and let gravity take it to the rim so that the ball could get over the basket. Too many athletes or, or some old heads, they like to shoot the ball like a, a dart. Like they, they shoot the ball forward like they're shooting a dart at the basket. And I've had to use the you know analogy of imagine that there's a dart board on, on the rim and you got to get that dart to land in the bullseye. How would you have to get it there? You have to put, you know, shoot the dart up. So that's something I uh, use with the athletes to get the ball to go up to get more arc on it. And then the final thing is because you push up, your follow through will finish with your elbow above your eyebrow. You don't want your elbow next to your eyebrow, but your elbow will be above your eyebrow, which will allow the proper arc that is needed to get the ball to go to the back of the rim. 
And then the final thing is finishing with your follow through in the center of the rim. A lot of times players or just athletes, their follow through goes all over the place. And usually where your follow through finishes is where the ball goes. It's not every single time, but it is a good measurement of of consistency. And so getting the ball on your dominant side, shooting it from that dominant side, then pushing up with your elbow, finishing with your elbow above your eyebrow, and then having that follow through and holding that follow through in the center of the rim until the ball goes through the net. Um, I think, what was it, maybe a year ago, you were out in your shots yep. up. And you're like, hey, man, I got a quick question for you. And like you're shooting the ball like all through the middle of your body. And I was like, yeah, get that ball over to the right side. And I, I, I remember like maybe like 30 minutes later, I was like, man, that helped a lot. Yeah. You know? So yeah. same thing I would tell others. I'm always shocked. Like literally I sent you four clips and you were like, <laughs> oh yeah, do this. And I was like four shots. He could tell what I was doing wrong, but that's what a coach does, right? Like that's what somebody expects me to do. Like, oh yeah, that squat or that push up three or four reps. I should be able to tell what's going on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you, like when you give me those, uh, hey, take about four or five breaths in this position for a reset. And I'm like, oh right. man. And now I'm feeling good. You know? Same <laughs> that's, that's all it takes. Okay, so what what do you feel like differentiates a good shooter from a great shooter? You know, in the past, it used to be like reps, and you know, you know, these guys get in and they, they shoot, you know, two hours a day. But as I've been able to talk with NBA players that have played with players that are like elite, they they do work hard, but it's more, I think, more of a focus. They have a routine of how they shoot the ball and they really focus on that routine and they want that routine to be done every single time. George Ning uh, played with Kyle Korver and I thought he was going to tell me that Kyle Korver stays after practice for an hour and a half, you know, and just like fires away. But he, he said he didn't shoot many shots. You know, it was probably in the 100, 200 range. But he wants every shot to be a perfect shot. And so the level of focus that takes is incredible. So I think focus on your routine. Not everybody is going to shoot the ball the same exact way. But players that have this focus to do the same thing every single time is really, really going to put themselves in a position to improve as a shooter and potentially become great. Unfortunately, a lot of times when you get into the 500 reps or, you know, you get these long reps, it's just a number. You start to lose focus. You start to really, you know, really develop bad habits. I I think in your world, it would be like, hey, listen, if all you could get to right now is five reps and the reps are really solid mechanically and your, your form is really good, that's great. Take that right now because we could get up to maybe 10 or 12 later, yeah. but we want five rather than the first five to be really good. And then the last five are just like bad mechanics. You're not really accomplishing what you need to accomplish. So I think it really translates in both worlds. Yeah, I love it, man. Okay, one more on shooting. One of the things that I've been fascinated by when I watch people shoot now, I promise, and and maybe it's just your guys because they all do have just like this very fluid nature to them. But two things that I constantly see are great balance and I see rhythm, right? And now these are yeah. like not like measurable things, right? But I can tell yeah. you if it's Glenn, if it's Dakota, if it's Ty, like I know if I'm watching these guys, I can almost tell by their lower half without watching the shot. Just watching their lower half and watching their balance and their rhythm if the ball's going to go in. So can you speak yeah. to the power of those in, when it comes yeah. to shooting? Yeah, you know, I think it does start with balance. And once you have a great feel and understanding of your balance, then you could start developing from there. And then the other thing is rhythm. I think 
that rhythm helps with your power. It helps with your ability to get the ball off quicker. And so balance and rhythm are two of my like key cornerstones of shooting. I think that too many people talk about like, you know, getting your feet set and, you know, you know, making sure that they're pointed at in a certain direction, because I feel like you could have balance without having perfect alignment. If right. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so uh, really working with them on gaining that balance, then once they gain that balance, then getting them to be able to maintain balance on the move. And one thing I learned or I've developed, I guess, just through my you know work with players is that you can still be balanced and still have a drift. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. Like, like you, like you, you're going to be coming off the screen and you're going full sprint. Nobody's turning, stopping on a dime, jumping straight up and landing right. straight down and have perfect balance. So being able to get them to uh, have balance and being able to stop their body. And one of the ways I like to do that is just having a player stationary and, you know, they take two dribbles and then they might do a sidestep and I'll push them to add some force and to add some, you know, discomfort to them. And then they have to land, stop, get on balance, and then make sure that they finish on balance. And so we'll start there and then be able to get them to move and maintain balance on the move. Even though you're drifting, are you able to control your body while your body is drifting in the air to get maybe even more separation? We're talking about these guys that have very little room to get their shot off. So that's important. And then the rhythm aspect of it, just being able to get great rhythm. It's like amazing. If you let a player at the NBA level, right, and especially a player that can shoot the ball, if you just let them have the time to get rhythm, like the, the percentages go up to like 70, 80%. It's, yeah. it's incredible. So getting them to feel the rhythm, and it might be different for each player, but uh, those are two, two definite cornerstones to shooting. I love it. Okay. So for all the dads or maybe moms out there who want their sons or daughters to be ballers, what tips would you give them to get their child started on the right foot? First, do a measurement of mom and dad. And if mom and dad are five, eight and five, six, it's going to be tough. Dang it. No, no, Dang it. I'm sorry. No, five, I'm joking. 11, no, five, no. seven. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough, Mike. <laughs> no. But uh, you know what? First of all, I think you have to make it fun for them. And, and, and there's such a comparison game. And hey, listen, I have a five-year-old son who I think is really starting to love basketball. And I've had him in some you know youth bite-sized leagues. And this comparison game even affects me sometimes. Like, oh, should I get him some training? Should I, uh, you know, I see this kid, so, you know, relax, have fun with it, make sure the player's having fun. And then, you know, at an age appropriate, it could be five, it could be eight. It doesn't have to be a set age that you can, you know, throw them into some training, throw them into some skill development. But, you know, do your research and do your homework on who you're letting train your child. And it's not, oh, well, if they're training NBA players, they must be better. I just saw a young man do some training with a five-year-old that I don't think I could have done. It was so simplistic. Some of the ways that he was able to get that boy to get down in a position was was terrific. And so just because there's this resume of all this player works with all these high-level players, my five or six or seven-year-old needs to work with that guy, that's a myth. Find somebody that is going to make it fun, going to teach them. Uh, and then the other thing is just, you know, you know, encouraging them to, you know, work on their own. I always tell players that really the development that 
happens is when you're on your own, whether it's before practice, whether you're going out to the driveway, whether you're just you know going out with some friends, getting them to understand that development happens on their own. And then the final thing is, is try and encourage just free play as much yes. as possible. You know, just let them be kids, let them have some fun out in the driveway or, or at the park and just get a group of uh, your child's friends together and just let them roll out the basketball and figure it out. What, how much do they want to go to a score? You know, what are some of the rules? I think all of that has been missed with just such a popular movement of training, you know? And yeah. so that has been probably one of the negatives of, of my profession. I'm not sure about your profession with the youth, but it's just like, like let them have some free play, let them figure out some things on their own. Yeah. I love it. And if I could just chime in one piece here, cause I know this is something we've talked about and I've noticed it more as my kids get into sports and as they get older, but especially with basketball, I feel like there's such a rush to get these kids using a full-size ball and a full-size hoop as quick as possible. So, for instance, Cade's yeah. seven, right? He's using a full-size women's ball. He's using, like, the 28-and-a-half-inch ball on a nine-foot goal. And I felt awful. The first, like, two practices, I don't think he got a basket. Or maybe he got one, right? So when we started go out, going out in the backyard, I lowered the, the hoop down to, like, eight-six, right? So it's comfortable for yeah. him now. He started getting buckets. Lo and behold, the next practice we go back and he probably got 25 or 30 buckets, you know? Yeah, yeah. and and that's what? No, it's just, it's got to be like, it's got to be age and size appropriate, right? So under size, it's not one size fits all because there's kids that are his age that are already six inches taller than him and could play on a 10 foot hoop. Not that it's ideal, but you got to figure out a way to make it age and size appropriate for your kid. Yeah. And, and I think like what you're basically saying is like you kind of you kind of say, oh, wait, nine foot is too high. Let's let's lower it, you know, and it's OK to adjust in, in what normal people might think would be like, oh, this is going backwards. No, it's not. You're trying to establish fundamentals. And one thing I, I do with my son is I really just want him to you know shoot it, you know, as correctly as possible. And if it goes in, great. If not, that's fine as well. But what I'm hoping to do one day is by the time he's in sixth or seventh grade, have good habits. What's unfortunate is parents are so concerned about getting those buckets. And I'm sure you could have had Cage's jacket up there. Yeah. Maybe he get a few more and that that helps. But then in sixth and seventh grade, he has these bad habits. And now you're either trying to correct them then or you're trying to correct them when they're in high school. And so I think rushing the process too much really has a lot of adjustment or needs a lot of adjustments and a lot of you know fixes later in their career if they're still playing when they're in high school, which could be ultimately detrimental to them having, you know, uh, further success outside of you know, high school. Yeah, for sure, man. Okay. Big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Joey Burton one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? It would be enjoy the journey and don't, don't, don't be so ambitious about the destination. I, when I was at Mississippi state, I would, you know, always look at these job boards after the end of each season. And then I moved up to Indianapolis and I was doing the same thing and I was working with kids and and I didn't look down upon it, but I didn't, that's not where I wanted to be. And I was destination focused. And my second year, I 
told myself, I, uh, being in Indy, I just said, you know what? I'm not going to look at those job boards anymore. I'm going to just lock in, focus on where I'm at. You know, big phrase that's been happening here uh, uh, that I've been hearing is like, be where your feet are, yep. you know, and that's where I, that's where I just started locking in on, okay, this is what I have in the gym today. I'm going to make them better. And that's when I started to really, you know, get more towards the destination. And it, it sounds crazy. Not that I don't have end goals and not uh, focus on end things, but I, I, I related to shooting. I want the player to focus on what makes the shot, not if the shot goes in or not. And so it's the same concept. So once I started to do that and started enjoying the process and saying, listen, I'm going to just keep doing what I need to do, help players get better. And it's grown to a destination that I never even imagined where I would be at right now. I, you, if you had told me seven years ago that you'd be flying to different cities to work with NBA players and getting to experience some things I've experienced, I would have laughed at you because I was so destination focused. Like, right. oh, that's not going to happen because I, where I'm at to where that would be, that's not going to happen. But when I just really started to enjoy the journey and focus and be where my feet were, it started opening doors to get me to a destination that I would have coveted back when I first started. Yeah, I love it, man. Okay, my guy, last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So six fairly short questions, but your answers can be as long or short as you like. Ready? All right. All right. Yep. Num- number one. What's your career highlight so far as a coach, if you can name this one? Man, I would say one of my career highlights was being able to work with Yogi Ferrell. And I started working with them going into his senior year at Indiana. He had a great senior year. Unfortunately, didn't get drafted. I flew out to Las Vegas during summer league. We kept working. He got he got a signed by Brooklyn. Then he was able to join Brooklyn for the first nine games. Then they waived him. He went back to the G League. And uh, I went out to Brooklyn to continue to work with him. And he finally got signed to a 10-day by Dallas. And I was just excited for him to be able to have that opportunity. And he had a bad shooting night on a Wednesday night against the Philadelphia 76ers. He went three for 14. The shot got flat. We had this phrase, like, got to push it up, let it fly. And on a Friday, I went back through some of these workouts to show him that I that he needed to get more arc on his shot. So I had this video and I showed it to him. He said, I'm going to let it fly. And so they were playing the uh, Portland Trailblazers on ESPN. And he goes off for uh, nine threes. He went nine for 11 that night. And the game got over like at 1.30. My phone's blowing up. I don't think I went to bed till like 4 a.m. I was just so... <laughs> high off of adrenaline. So right. that was one of my career highlights uh, in, in the player development uh, uh, circle. Yeah, man. I, I remember that game because I remember you working with him and I remember that. I was like, dang, okay, here we go. Love it, man. Yeah. Okay. Number two, outside of the guys that you work with, what NBA player do you like watching the most and why? One of my favorite players of all time is Steve Nash. Just his ability to get the most out of his body, his craftiness. I think he really changed the game. I had an opportunity, like I said in the, earlier in the show, to watch him practice and work out when he was with the Dallas Mavericks. And those really cool finishes that he did, he was working on those that day. And it opened my eyes to like, whoa, these guys really work on this stuff. I was like 23 years old. I'm like, man, these guys really work on this stuff to get better. So Steve Nash uh, is is one that I just really enjoy watching. Um, 
I like Chris Paul and his game as well. And you know, I'm, I'm really becoming a big fan of Luka Doncic and, you know, the stuff that he's doing and how he is able to play with great pace and his deceleration um, and his ability to uh, create for himself and others is really fun to watch. Man, you just stole a word. I had written this word down to talk about it. We didn't talk about it in the show, but that concept of pace, you know, yeah. whether it's a Luka Doncic, whether it's Steve Nash, these guys that aren't going to blow your doors off. They're not Russell Westbrook on the athleticism scale, but man, they understand pace, speeding down, slowing up, using their body, creating that little bit of separation. Like that's really fun to watch too. And it's not like this tangible thing. You can't put it on a court and say, Oh, give me a three quarter court sprint. But you know, it when you see it on a basketball court, yeah, right? Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's, uh, you know, and specifically that ability to celebrate. And we talked about this, this off season, you know, we were working with it on with some of our guys, you know, yep. the ability to stop immediately, maintain balance and control and allow defenders to fly by you is, is so, so critical in being able to be successful at the next level. I love it. Okay. Number four, you can have dinner with three basketball players living or dead. Who are they? Steve Nash, Michael Jordan, and Kobe Bryant. Oh, it's a pretty good lineup. That's a pretty good lineup. Okay, number four, greatest shooter of all time, according to Joey Burton. Yeah, I'd have to probably say Steph Curry, man. The guy is incredible. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I mean, I would just, yeah, definitely. Steph Curry. I think, though, if you want to get specific on, uh, like, foundational mechanics, like, Clay Thompson has the most pure mechanical shot I think ever in the history of basketball. So I think, you know, Steph is able to just do more with it and it's ridiculous what he does, Yeah, but the purity of the shooting mechanics, I would go with clay. Oh man. Yeah. It sucks that we don't get to watch him play basketball for another year. I was really excited. I know. See him back out there. Hopefully he heals fast. Number five. Can I put you on the spot and ask who the best shooter you've ever coached is? You're going to make somebody uh, mad regardless, right? Because every dude yeah, thinks it's them. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> just pure shooting. Um, I, I can't go with one. I, I would go, I, you know what, I'll go with Dakota. Dakota, he's 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 the best shooter I've worked with. And, and we had to make some changes for him to get there. But uh, I would say he's the the best shooter that I've hang on. Come and I think his DNA, his DNA as well is, is built like your JJ Reddick's, your Kyle Corver's, your Ray Allen's. Yeah. Uh, so I'll add that as, as a reason why, and, and it's because some of these other players that uh, I work with and that you, you work with as well, they're so gifted in other areas as well that, that, that they don't need to be as focused on maybe shooting as Dakota is to give him a chance to compete at that level. Yeah. Okay, so now I got to circle back. What did you have to change? Maybe this was before I I jumped in the mix, but like, what did you well, what did you work on with him? Yeah, so he had this tendency to just sling the ball back, and he would, like the ball would literally get to like the top of his head. Yes, and so he would sling the ball back, which would cause him to shoot the ball more forward. And now he's getting that ball right to the you know top of his forehead area and lets it go and he pushes it up. So we had to uh, stop him from you know slinging the ball too far back because every action has a reaction. And in basketball, usually when you re- your action goes back with the ball, the next motion is going to be forward. So we did that, and I mean had great success. He shot thirty four percent his 
freshman year at Purdue, and he finished at 46% his senior year at Purdue. So I think the adjustments were pretty good. Well, and not only that, but 39% last year in the G League while attempting like 8.9 threes. The game, yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. And those were not just spot-up jumpers either. Go look at his highlight reel from last year. Off, off, Off the dribble... Off, uh, off pin downs, running to the corner. I mean, yeah, he had a pretty yeah, good year. It was, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Excited for him with the Sixers uh, this coming up year. For sure. All right, last one, number six. Right. What's next for Joey Burton? What's next? I got a workout here in Utah. Um, <laughs> that's kind of how I'm taking life right now. Just continuing to uh, build on what I'm doing by focusing on each day. And so, you know, I don't really think too much, you know, in the future, as far as, oh, in five years, I want to be doing this or 10 years, I want to be doing this. Um, I tried that and personally, it didn't work well for me. When I just started focusing on providing value to others, um, becoming the best I could become at what I do has really got me to where I never would have imagined. So I'm going to keep going with that mindset and, and that practice each day. And if it leads to something like maybe working for an NBA team or a college coaching job or something, then I would uh, you know, take that decision when it was presented. But right now, I love helping others, whether they're NBA players. I still work with these players. Just love helping players get better and uh, allow them to reach their goals. And uh, until something else comes up, I'm going to stay focused on doing that. I love it, my guy. All right. Well, Joey, it's been great catching up with you today. Where can my listeners find out more about you and the great work that you're doing? I'm on Twitter, just my name, Joey Burton. And then on Instagram at Coach Joey Burton. And you could follow me there. I tend to post uh, basketball content periodically and on Twitter sometimes give thoughts about basketball as well. I love it. Well, Joey, thanks again for coming on, buddy. This is great, man. Oh, great. It was a long time doing, my guy. friend that does it for this week's episode with joey burton sincerely hope you enjoyed it i can say from the bottom of my heart i don't know if there's many people in this world i respect more than joey this guy literally puts every ounce of his being and his soul into helping his athletes get better i just have a tremendous amount of respect for him and i think seeing him work every day and people talk about grinding this guy really does grind Like he is in the gym probably more than any coach I know. And it's easy to do that when you're in your 20s, right? Like, let's be real. I did that when I was in my 20s and my early 30s. I'm not really grinding right now. This guy is still grinding. He's still putting in the hours. And I just have a tremendous amount of respect for him. So really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, I got one of two favors to ask. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, please do that right now today. It takes two seconds. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, wherever you download or consume podcasts, go there and subscribe right now so you get each and every episode delivered straight to your iPhone, tablet, whatever you listen to it on, and make sure that every week you're listening because I'm trying my best to find amazing guests and putting amazing people on that you're going to learn a ton from. Second, if you've already subscribed, thank you. I appreciate it. Go one step further. Go onto iTunes, give us a rating and a review. This is the most surefire way to make sure that other trainers, other coaches, other rehab professionals get exposed to all the amazing guests that we have on the show each and every week. My goal with this podcast is to make our industry 
a better place. And I think with your support and with the amazing people we have on each and every episode, we can continue to do that. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.